0: What is God like? What is the number one thing, I'm talking about the entire human race, every human inhabitant of this planet, what do we need to know? Number one, what is God like? What is God like? Now, there are a couple of things that make that critical. Number one, There is a fallen angel, one-third of the, the angels joined this fellow named Lucifer in a rebellion. And that Lucifer is going all around the planet, and he is called the father of lies. And he trades in lies. The biggest lies he tells are what is God like. He lies to us about God. Oh, man, if you follow that, Jesus, you're just going to have to keep all these rules. And it's just all that fun in life is just going to disappear. And what you really need to do is turn to me and and follow the enticements I give you. And you will just be such a happy fellow or lady. He's a liar. Because the authentic God blesses and blesses and brings goodness as only he, the good God, can into our lives. His goodness, his wisdom, his immeasurable power. He doesn't just tell us what ought to happen. He completely governs our environment so that we can walk in his provision his guidance, all of these things, and experience the good God. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, as I mean, just by way, of review, by way of review, it's really drawn in comparison, it's a scene in comparison, by stark contrast, to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, you had God on the top of the mountain, coming down, gigantic angelic display, light that made it almost, I mean, it went fire. And just, it was designed to frighten the Jewish people. I mean, that's what God purposed. And they put a border around the base of that mountain. And if any Jewish fellow, other than Moses, or women were to cross that line. They were to be shot with and through with an arrow or speared. Only Moses could go up there. And there was smoke coming and fire had come down. What do we have with the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus goes up on the mountain and sits down. He's not playing the role of Moses. He's playing the role of God. And by the way, that's Perfectly wonderful because that's who he is. And the people come up the mountain to him. And he teaches them and he tells them the blessing of kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who empty themselves of themselves, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven everything every gift my father has becomes theirs what's the requirement that they come with empty pockets come with empty spirits so that God can fill them and so you go through these beatitudes which we've examined and you go through all these blessing 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 and he brings us into the process of being useful to him we are to be salt the salt of the earth. We're to be the. We are to be the light of the world. He is the light of the world. But we're to be the. Like that old song again. Some of you are too young to. Let the low. You ever heard the song? Let the lower lights be burning. You ever heard that song? Oh, it's an old, old gospel song. Because there was an event, in Lake Michigan. Where there was a gigantic <laughs> storm. And the, there was a lighthouse, but it wasn't enough. And they had lights along the shore. The lower lights kept burning. And that is what enabled some of those ships to survive because they saw where the shoreline was because of the lower lights. And so they were able to otherwise they couldn't see at all. The lighthouse is Jesus. We are the lights along the shore that he uses in fulfilling the task. And then he told us in verses 70 to 21 that he had come in fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled the requirement of the law in two ways. Number one, he could say to his worst enemies, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He could say to his worst enemies, which of you accuses me of sin? They couldn't name one thing. They wouldn't have to examine Mark Rylander very deeply to find an authentic point of accusation, but they watched Jesus Christ for three and a half years, three and a half years, his worst enemies trying to find one point of accusation, and they couldn't find one. And then, as the Lamb of God, who had been examined by those same priests who had checked the Passover lambs on that day before the Passover, they declared him innocent, handed him over to Pilate, and insisted that even so he be crucified. So he's crucified, and here is the sinless one taking our sin upon himself, and he was qualified to do so. Why? Because the priest just declared him innocent, right? So he fulfilled the law for us. And he also fulfilled all those Hebrew messianic prophecies. Born of a virgin. Born in Bethlehem. All of these things. And then last week we looked at verses 1 through 26 where he's, he, he kind of flips things around. He's been talking about how we can just be walked right into kingdom blessing. And now he says, now let me be very, very, very clear. You know what the ultimate issue is? What do you think God is like? Now, see, the Jewish leadership, in defiance of their own scripture, you know, God is really just like me, Annas, the high guy who was high priest and then offended the Romans, so he got kicked out of office. And so his son-in-law, Caiaphas becomes the hype, we're both Sadducees. And Uh, We don't even believe in eternal life and yeah, all those real verities of Judaism. We don't really, but we get this job because we're in the right line of descent. And they actually hate, they hate the God of Abraham. And they're telling the Jewish people, you just keep bringing those sacrifices It doesn't matter what you are on the outside. As long as you keep the veneer, as long as your public presentation looks sort of, kind of, according to the law of Moses, that's all God asks for because God is really just like us. No, he's not. And in verses 21 to 26, Jesus says, if you bring your offering to the temple and you're about to present it, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, you leave your offering there and you go and you set things right with your brother. And then, (coughs) then, you may come and authentically present your offering because God looks on the heart, not on what you are presenting to the world. He's looking on the heart. And if in your heart you are a vile man or a vile woman, I don't care what offering you present, it will not be accepted unless you've repented of your vileness. Don't. Insult my Father. And then he carries on that thought in verses 27 through 32. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Right out of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his hearts. What are you on the inside? That's what the penetrating gaze of God sees. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Let me tell you something, folks. <clears throat> it already exists. Do you know the lake of fire already exists? It's al- it was already created, it's awaiting. It wasn't created for the human race. It was created for Lucifer and the angels that fell with him, that joined him in his rebellion. It is now a threat to the human race because in the person of Adam, we rebelled against God. And so in order for us to avoid that destiny, We simply need to repent, change our outlook, which is a divine thing. Thank you, God, you're pursuing us. And we see the truth and that Jesus Christ paid sin's penalty for us. And so we hold out an empty hand and we accept that gift and as at the same time we are turned around and we step towards and we are instantly given the promise of eternal life an eternal welcome with the holy god the issue is eternally settled when we hold out an empty hand and say god i want the benefit of what your son did for me on the cross and god 100 percent of the time says yes and from that instant on we have a welcome with god it's (laughs) eternal it is totally secure But hell is an issue. It is a reality. Don't you want to know about it? In fact, the Holy Spirit, John chapter 16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And you don't want to be standing shoulder to shoulder with him and receive the judgment due to him. You don't have to. But in the same way that you shall not murder, what did the Jewish leadership, religious leadership say? As long as you don't take out a knife and stab somebody, you've obeyed that command. And Jesus says, no, it's much deeper than that. If you were angry with your brother, if you hate your brother, you have murdered you have murdered and that is something you need to repent of and make right not only with him but with God even more importantly and now (coughs) you shall not commit adultery I'm not I'm putting my hands deep in my pockets any man here who has never looked on a woman with lustful thoughts let me see your hands Any woman who is here who has never looked on a man with lustful thoughts, let me see your hand. I see no hands. So what do we do? We cry out to God for mercy, for forgiveness, and he gives it to us. And notice how, how, just how important is what kind of, is this really a big deal? I mean, what kind of damage actually happens to us if we hate our brother or look on a woman or a man lustfully? Enough damage that Jesus says... If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. Now, he talks about the right eye and the right hand. Let me tell you, in that culture, this isn't, I mean, we look at that and say, wow, this would be a huge price to pay to avoid that sin. In that culture, and even in the Middle East and much and the Orient entirely today, that is much bigger than we in the West conceive. Because the right eye is the eye of blessing, the left eye is the eye of cursing. So if you pluck out your right eye, you've cut yourself off from society. Because you can't look at anybody with a left just with your left eye without them as accepting that as a curse, understanding that as a curse. So there's a huge social price to say nothing of the debilitation it would you would be experiencing as you go through the rest of your life. And a right hand, this is the hand of blessing. This is the hand that you do your sanitary work with in the outhouse. You don't touch people with your left hand. That is the hand of, and even today, this is the hand of cursing. This is the hand you eat food with. This is the hand of blessing. And so not only if you cut off your right hand, you're making yourself, you're cutting yourself off from society and you're probably even offending yourself. So why does Jesus say that? What's he saying? Whatever the price you have to pay to avoid sin is a smaller price than sin charges. you will come out ahead even at that steep price you will come out ahead if your right eye causes you to sin pluck it out and cast it from you because that is a smaller price than sin will charge if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off and cast now folks your eye doesn't cause you to sin Your hand doesn't cause you to sin. What causes us to, with our eyes, look at a woman or a man to lust for them? It's not our eyes. It's what's inside of us. It's not our hands that cause us to sin. It's what's inside of us that animates the use of our hands. So why would Jesus, he's trying to get his listeners and now his readers to think, Wait a minute. Where's the real problem? Just as with, in the case of murder, anger in my heart, hatred in my heart, that's the real problem. I've broken that murder prohibition. I've broken that adultery prohibition with that lustful thought. So what I need to do, I can't solve by plucking out my right eye or cutting off my right hand. So what can I can only turn to the God who heals. Yes, he heals physically. He also heals our spirit, our souls, our mental outlook. He turns us to valuing what he says we ought to value. And leave behind what the world of flesh and the devil says we ought to value. And he enables us by the help of that he grants us in his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in every single believer. So that we can walk in the Spirit. That is walk in the Holy Spirit as a person. Who is in fact the one who governed the stylus of each writer of the scripture. And so we walk in that person of the Holy Spirit. And he is dwelling within us to strengthen us. Pay whatever price you have to pay to not sin. To walk in obedience to him. And then receive the blessing that is way past anything this world has to offer. Notice verses 31 and 32. By this, this is, he is going after... The Jewish leadership on even a, and 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 the Jewish traditions that in fact were institutionalized wickedness. Let me take, just give you a little background. In the Hebrew scriptures, in the Law of Moses, if you committed adultery and it was common knowledge, what's what does the Law of Moses require? Did you be put under a pile of rocks? There was this fellow, Joseph, he was following a Jewish tradition when he discovered that the woman to whom he was engaged, Mary, was pregnant. They had a contract on file already down at their equivalent of the county courthouse. Their wedding date was picked. But they had a contract, wedding date was selected. Then he finds out she's pregnant. He knows he's not the one that fathered this child. And so it even says of Joseph being a righteous man. He said, okay, I'm going to put her away privately. And the way this was done is he would simply announce to the community and to Mary's parents, I have found an uncleanness in her and they all understand he doesn't want to say she's committed adultery and see her put under a pile of rocks he doesn't want that to happen so he just wants to back out of the situation and so he said I found and, and, and he would make this announcement the, co- the contract would be canceled and so he can just walk away. But men also did this. Let's say uh, you marry this wonderful young lady, and uh, you know, after a s- ten years or so, she's kept up with you on the weight gain, or she burned the biscuits one morning, or whatever the reason was. You could just what they started doing was, you know, I've found an uncleanness in her, and everybody in the community goes. Oh. She must have committed adultery, but of course he doesn't want to put her under a pile. Of rock. So he just says I found an uncleanness in her. Now see where that expression came came from was a man, a Jewish man unlike uh, who didn't know like Joseph, he marries a young lady. That he assumes Ahead of time, and it's been advertised this way by her family, she is a virgin. And he finds out on their wedding night, oh, no, she's not. And so he could go, as Joseph was planning, he could go before the community. I found an uncleanness in her. And the community goes, okay. Yes, you can have the divorce. We know what really happened. We won't put her under a pile of rocks, but we know what really happened. And then, say six months later, because that marriage was dissolved by him, she marries another man, and everybody in the community says, aha, that must be the guy that she had sex with ahead of time, before she got married, or after she had married. Joseph thought it had really happened. What was God's will, by the way, for Joseph or for any other man? Forgiveness. Does God forgive adultery? Does God forgive that guy, David, (laughs) forgave his adultery? That guy, David, forgave his murder? God is the murder forgiver, the adultery forgiver, and we are supposed to be like God. What was God's will for Joseph and for every? Forgive. You forgive. You imitate God. You forgive. That's why it says here in verse 31, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Here, fill out the paper. That's been said, but I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality, she burned the biscuits, you know, that's really important, you know, she's put on a little weight. That's really, you know, her skin is said. We've been married 40 years, and now her skin, she isn't the cute young thing that, so I think I will abandon her. I will get rid of her and marry a cute young thing. Now, you don't tell the community that. You say to the community, Oh, I found an uncleanness in her. You are a liar. It has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality, the only reason they were allowed to divorce was if one or the other committed provable adultery. But you know what the Bible Jesus says in another place that that exception was only given to you because of the hardness of your hearts why god's will actually was that you forgive we are to be imitators of god does god forgive Uh, in fact that is one of his names the god who forgives Whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Now, that's not really a good translation. Literally, it's makes her an adulteress. And I would insert one word there, makes her appear to be an adulteress. Because he stands before the community and says, hey, I found an uncleanness in her. Oh, we know what that means when it really was she burned the biscuits. He lied about her. And he let that lie become the common understanding. He literally makes her appear to commit adultery when in fact she hadn't. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced, likewise, ah, that must be The guy she had the affair with. A compounding of the lie. In fact, the law of Moses allows that woman who's been divorced to remarry. He's talking about what the community understands. And it all is a lie. And yet it was a lie that was completely approved by the Jewish leadership. There was no rebuke placed upon them. So what is Jesus doing? He is defending what they think about God. I began this message by saying what? What we understand about God is the most important information we can glean while on this earth. My God is a God of integrity. My God does not lie. And he expects integrity on the inside from his people. Be truth tellers. Your God is a truth teller. And don't you think about presenting an offering to God if you have hatred in your heart for your brother. Don't you think about walking up to and standing before the holy God. If you have lied about someone else or if you have lusted after someone, you have, might as well have committed adultery. Every person on the planet is an adulterer. Every person on the planet is a murderer. And we all need the forgiveness of the adultery and murder forgiving God. And he is more willing to offer us that forgiveness than we are to accept it. As desperate as we might need that and want it, he's more eager to give it to us than we are to ask for it. That's what, what, what is Jesus doing here in the Sermon on the Mount? He is setting his audience right in their outlook. Do you know what the word repentance means? It's the Greek word metanoia, change of mind, change of outlook. That's what it means to repent. I'm going to stop believing lies and walking in those lies, and I'm going to believe the truth with God's help and walk in that truth. That's that's what repentance is. Repent. Repent. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, there is in a person in this room that upon self-examination with the help of your holy emphasis on the word holy spirit, the third person of the Godhead, doesn't need to repent and to be cleansed and to adjust our steps, our walk to more authentically on center pursue you in the reality of who you are. We are asking that you will grant to us each a heart of full repentance. Whatever your Holy Spirit puts his finger on, that we will confess it tell the truth about it and be I'll accept the correction but also knowing we are forgiven that means you on a practical basis forget that it ever happened Whew. thank you lord for being the merciful god the gracious God that we need you to be. We give you thanks and praise in your name, King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.